Well, I just want to welcome you this morning to our uh, streaming. Uh, thank you for joining us. We know that uh, uh, this is a really odd time, but we're believing that uh, even in this odd time, we're going to stay connected, and we believe the Word of the Lord is a good thing, and we're going to get some this morning. Um, how many of you have ever, uh, in the Hallmark section of the cards at the store, you've seen these uh, cards that says, thinking of you, and you know you can buy them, fill them out, send them to somebody, because you're thinking of them. Well, I just want to make sure everyone knows that even though we're apart, we're thinking of you. Uh, not only thinking of you, but praying for you. Uh, we uh, have experienced this social separation, and uh, I don't like it. Uh, I like to be with my church family, and so uh, just know that we're thinking of you. We're praying for you. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness, not only to our streaming, but uh, to the ministry of Trinity Church, and uh, we just uh, want to make sure you know that that your faithfulness is appreciated. Let me just make a quick announcement because things do continue to go on and uh, babies are going to be continue to be born even in the middle of this pandemic. Matthew and Michaela uh, Crawford are expecting a wonderful addition to their family and so we want to honor them with a baby shower. However, uh, we don't know if we're going to be able to be back together, so we're making plans to do a drive-by baby shower. We're going to do it on Saturday, June the 13th, and uh, that'll be from 3 o'clock to 5 p.m. here at the church, and uh, they're just going to occupy one of the little uh, awnings that uh, are out on our driveway, and so you can drive by and make connection with them and uh, bring a gift for that new baby boy. And uh, we want to be a blessing to them in that. Amen? So 3 to 5 p.m. Uh, June the 13th. Make plans uh, to be in attendance for that. Uh, July 26th is our tentative date to honor Pastor Rick and Miss Joyce as last week we announced their retirement. As of June the 28th will be their last day of full-time uh, ministry here at the church, and uh, we just want to celebrate. We want to be a blessing to them and honor them uh, as they move from uh, one season of their lives to the next season. So mark your calendars, and we're hoping and praying and believing that we'll be back together by July 26th so that we can honor them in this way. Let's just take a few moments and uh, uh, allow our worship team to come and uh, bless us with worship. Let's just love on the Lord this morning. Amen.
stop working You never stop, you never stop working Even when I don't see it, you're working Even when I don't feel it, you're working You never stop, you never stop working You never stop, you never stop working Even when I don't see it, you're working Even when I don't feel it, you're working You never stop, you never stop working You never stop, you never stop working Even when I don't see it, you're working Even when I don't feel it, you're working You never stop, you never stop working You never stop, you never stop working Way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper Night in the darkness, my God, that is who you are You are the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are That is who you are That is who you are do a new thing and now it shall spring forth shall you not know it I will even make the road in the wilderness and the rivers in the desert and Lord you remind us even when we don't feel like it when we're overwhelmed or feel inadequate Lord 
that you are the true way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Lord, you are the light in the darkness. So today we choose to put our trust in you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Uh, Let's take a few moments, open our Bibles this morning, and we're going to jump right into the Word. I believe God has something really great for us this morning. Uh, So open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity that you've given us together, uh, to gather together, Lord God, and uh, uh, to hear this word this morning. Even though, Father, we're not physically together, Lord, as a church family, we're coming together, Lord God, on the internet to hear something that I believe you have for each and every one of our hearts. So I pray the anointing of God to be upon this word, to be upon myself and each person that hears it, Lord that we might receive this word into our spirits, and Lord, that it would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 30, let's begin reading in verse number 1. It says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south, and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great, they did not kill anyone, but they burned them, but, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been ta- taken captive. Then David and his people and the people that were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives... Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because of the soul of all the people were greatly, was greatly grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to, Ab- to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. The title of my message this morning is, God has everything we need. And in the midst of this pandemic, folks, I got to tell you, there uh, is an uncovering, if you would, of so many needs that people have. Obviously, the unemployment, the various things that have taken place in the financial realm. But more than that, folks, we find ourselves in positions that we've never even been in before. So I want to look at David's life. Here is this God's chosen servant. That's who David was. He's mentioned in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. He literally was God's man. He was anointed by Samuel to be king. He would be the future king of of the nation of Israel. He's literally the forefather of Jesus Christ. But yet his life was literally racked with disaster in this story we read. And you, and you, you say, well, why was it racked with disaster? How, how in the world did all of this happen to David? Well, that question, and how in the world would he ever recuperate from this? That's the next question. This is a devastating blow to him. It's a devastating blow to his men. 
But remember this, God has everything we need. He has everything we need. In David's situation, it's one of literal desperation. After uh, literally a close call with, with Saul, who was after his life, Saul was trying to destroy David because he knew he would be the future king. So he's trying to erase him off the face of the map. Saul's army literally got too close to David and his men. And David was literally weakened in his faith and the protecting power that God had over his life. So David made a decision. David made a decision to move himself and his men into the Philistines' territory. You see, it's one thing to flee King Saul, but it's a whole nother thing altogether to move into the enemy's territory. Folks, may I just say this quickly? I could preach another whole sermon on this, but understand this. In the middle of all this pandemic, we don't need to be doing what the world is doing. Because you see, David, he moves into the enemy's camp believing that that's the answer to his problems. So he decides to move into the Philistines' uh, territory. Let's read this. It's First Samuel 27. gives you a little idea of why he did it. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should uh, speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul with with despair of me will, will despair of me to seek me any more in part of in, in, in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. So that's why David did it. He believed that Saul wouldn't chase him into the land of the Philistines. You don't use the devil's tactics to get God's results. In 1 Timothy, or in 2 Timothy uh, 1.7, it says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. So compromise, whenever we begin to compromise, compromise can take us out, literally, of the protection that God has on our lives. And it's easy to sometimes make wrong assumptions. I heard a story one time about a woman who had gotten robbed, and she called the police. Uh, they, uh, the burglars had broken into her house and taken things from her house, and so she called the police. Uh, 911 went out immediately, and the closest responding officer was a canine officer. And so whenever he got to the woman's house, he unloaded his dog, and he had his dog on the leash, and he's coming up the sidewalk towards the woman, and the woman kind of exasperated, threw up her hands and says, not only was I robbed, but they send me a policeman that's blind. Okay, well, maybe that doesn't work so well, but she assumed something there. She assumed he was blind. David made some assumptions, and sometimes those wrong assumptions can result in very bad decisions being made. David and his men returned from uh, returned to the city of Ziklag, and they found the, the, the buildings, the whole town literally leveled. It's burned to the ground. Their wives, their children, they were abducted and literally at the mercy of their captors. Their cattle, all of their possessions have been stolen. Stay, Satan is in the business of stealing, folks. In John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I've come that you might have life and that, that you might have it more abundantly. Satan is always trying to rob God's people. 
He's trying to rob us of our faith. He's trying to rob us of the victory that God gives us through Jesus Christ. He's trying to rob us of our courage. He's trying to rob us of the trust that we have in God. Ultimately, he wants to steal everybody's soul. That's what he's up to. He wants to, he wants to take everybody to hell with him. Satan's a thief. The enemy, no matter how hard he tries to stop one of God's people, Understand this, he can't as long as we hold fast in the trust and the faith we have in the Lord Jesus. So here the enemy is doing all that he can to literally stop one of God's key people. He's literally trying to stop man's redemption because through David, Jesus Christ would ultimately come. So he found a way to turn David's own men against him. He literally begins to put in their hearts that they ought to stone David, that this is all his fault. And so they're beginning to sit around the the table and talk about the possibility of stoning their leader, of stoning the future king of Israel, of stoning the future uh, uh, forefather of the Lord Jesus Christ to death. They were about to stone him. And David literally was suffering inside. He was was grief-stricken about losing his family, about losing his livelihood. He was grief-stricken about his men losing the same. Their families were gone. All that they had were gone. And these men literally were looking for someone to blame. That's what trials do to us oftentimes. We look for some place to put the blame. Look for somebody to blame. And it gets us looking in the wrong direction. See, because it's not about blame. All the various things that happen to us, I mean, whose fault is this? That we have this pandemic, that we have this virus running rapid in the United States and all over the globe. See, it's not the blame we we need to be focusing on, but it's the reality of our God in the midst of this pandemic. He has everything we need. You see, that's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to focus the wrong place. He wants us to focus on the blame. He wants us to look the wrong direction. But David ultimately made the right choice because David's eyes went from the men that were about to stone him literally to the God that was about to save him. David began to look up. The Bible says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. The King James says that he encouraged himself in the Lord. And so the root word here for strengthened and encouraged is the primitive root for it means to fasten upon, to seize, to be strong, to be courageous, to strengthen, to cure, to help, to repair, to fortify, to take courage, to encourage yourself, to strengthen yourself, to be stout, make strong, be sure, Take hold, behave valiantly. All of those things, David begins to look to the Lord and all of a sudden he begins to be strengthened in the Lord. He begins to be encouraged in the Lord. So what exactly does it mean? David being strengthened to encourage himself in the Lord. You see, David recognized the signs of depression. 
And I know that's a scary word to use this morning because, man, if you throw out the word depression, man, all of a sudden you begin to think about medication and doctors and so on and so forth. But folks, all of us at one time or another in our lives have probably experienced depression. I'm not talking about clinical depression where, you know, there's some type of a chemical imbalance, but this is the definition of depression, feelings of severe despondency and dejection. Sometimes in a crisis, we don't realize the doubts and the despairs, the sadness that literally that we are trapped in, feelings of, of severe despondency or dejection. That's depression. David woke up to his own depressed condition. He's walking around the city of Ziklag. He's witness, witnessing what has taken place there. He's feeling the impact of his family, his men's families. All that he has is gone. And he recognizes where he's at, where his heart's at, where his spirit's at, where his mind's at. He's depressed. David realizes the terrible state of his mind, the terrible state of his, of his heart. He realized he was leaving God out of the equation. You see, all he's seeing is what's happened. All he's seeing is what's taken place. All he's seeing is a terrible crisis that he's in the middle of. He's not seeing God in the midst of his situation. How many of you have ever had what I'm going to refer to as a good talking to. Somebody took you aside and, and they gave you a good talking to. Or perhaps maybe you're one of the people that have given somebody a good talking to. I know from time to time I've had to, as a pastor, talk to folks. Uh, obviously, as a parent, I've had to talk to my kids where we pull them aside in the bedroom and we give them a good talking to. David began to do that. But he was talking to himself. It says David began to talk to himself. In other words, he gave himself a good talking to. I believe some of the best talks in the world are those talks that a man or a woman has with himself or herself. In Psalm 43, 1 through 5, listen to what David says. It says, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O oh, deliver me from the deceitfulness and un deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do you go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to my exceeding joy. And on the harp, I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. David, in Psalm 43, he's talking about, this is all you, God. You're going to do it in me. David didn't look at any man, but he looked at the Lord. He looked to the Lord for his strength. He looked to the Lord for his encouragement. He, he strengthened himself. He encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. David abandons all of the earthly trusts, and he went straight to his God. So this morning, we got to talk about this. How exactly did David encourage himself in the Lord? How did he do this? How did he get it done? 
He began to give himself that good talking to. David, David, come on, get a hold of yourself. This is terrible what you're in the midst of. But what was it that he said to himself? How did he do it? How did he encourage himself? How did he strengthen himself in the Lord? I think in the midst of the ruins that he was standing in, I believe he began to repeat some of the truths that he knew earlier in his life. Perhaps something like this. I know the Lord still loves me and I love him. Though I may not have though I may have faltered, yet he is not forgotten to be gracious to me. I know he still loves me. He looked back on some of those amazing days with the Lord whenever he was keeping his father's sheep and he was singing songs to God out on the hills around Bethlehem. Maybe he said something like this, my experience in God wasn't a dream. I've known the Lord. I have had precious fellowship with the Lord. And I know that he never changes. I know that he's going to help me. I know that his mercy endures forever. Didn't he forgive my sins? He wrote about that in Psalm 32. Didn't he heal my body? Psalm 6. Didn't he answer my, answer my prayers over and over? Didn't I feel his presence when I worshipped him and rejoiced in him? That's Psalm 16. You see, David remembered his victories. He remembered all the encounters that he had had with God. He remembered the lion and the bear that he slew. God delivered him then, and he believes that God will deliver him now. He saw himself going out to meet Goliath. Remember, this is a victory in his back pocket. This is a place where he's opening up his wallet and he's looking at all the pictures. He's seen himself going out to meet this gigantic monster, Goliath, with nothing more than a sling and a stone, but he literally came back holding Goliath's head in his hand. And so the, 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 the resonating voice within him whenever he's in the middle of this good, strong talking to, had to be, if he's done all of that for me, will he not rescue me now? My wife, my kids, my possession, my men's families, their wives are all gone. Will he not rescue me now? I think that perhaps he's seen himself in the courts of Saul, it's literally Saul's crazy in the head and he throws a javelin at him trying to pin him against the wall. But, but thankfully, the hand of God's protection was upon him. God spared him. If the Lord would have wanted to destroy David, he would have had a good opportunity way back then whenever Saul was throwing spears at him. That's how David did it. He encouraged himself. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And he did it by giving himself a strong talking to. Okay? So that's how David did it. But you're saying to me this morning, I'm not David. I never killed the bear and a lion. I never killed Goliath. I didn't have Saul throwing spears at me. I never seen the hand of God like David had seen the hand of God. So how do you and I do it? How do we encourage ourselves? Because I feel like this morning there are those in our congregation, perhaps those that are listening to this broadcast, that they feel very discouraged this morning. They feel very uh, weak this morning. Their faith has dwindled down to seemingly nothing. So how do you and I encourage ourselves? Well, I believe it's similar to David. I think we've got to talk to ourselves. 
I think we all have to give ourselves a good, strong talking to. We got to call our thinking into account. Because you see, whenever we're down and we're depressed and we're and we're overcome with fear and anxiety, whenever we think it's all doom and gloom, it's because of the way we think. We're thinking the world's going to end. We're thinking we're going to get this virus. We're thinking the economy is never going to be back where it should be. We're thinking, we're thinking, we're thinking. We have to call that thinking into account because I promise you that's not the way God's thinking right now. God's thinking that we're more than conquerors. God is thinking that the victory is ours through Christ Jesus. God is not thinking like that, so we have to call our thinking into into account. You see, whenever bad times come, we cannot let our minds run with that bad, with that doubt-filled thought. We can't allow that to happen. We have to stop our fears and we have to promote our faith. We have to press our fears down and elevate our faith. We have to remind ourselves of all the things that God has done for us. That's what David did. We got to remind ourselves of the things that God has done for others that are around us, others that have experienced miracles. We got to talk about the tangible evidences of God's reality in our lives and the lives of those that are around us because he's there and he's made a difference in our lives in one way or another. We got to remember God's character. Not only do we have to remind ourselves what he's done, but we got to remind ourselves of the character of God because God is good. He's good. You and I should be you and I should be saying the Lord called me by his grace. He brought me out of the world. He made me his child. Will he leave me now? It's not the oil it is not the oil of the Holy Spirit upon my life. Will he leave me to the enemy now? So that the enemy can rejoice over me? Man, the answer has to be no. No. He didn't call me and bring me out of this in order to let me fail. He didn't call me and bring me out of my past life so that the enemy could rejoice over me. The answer is no. God is going to uphold my life because he is a God of character. We need to take down all the mental diaries that we keep. And we got to refer back to the days whenever the Lord helped us again and again and again. All of us have those mental diaries. How many times that God has blessed us? How many times that He has come through for us? We got to count them one by one. God did this for me. And 1980. He did this for me in 1985. Some of you all weren't even born then, but God did these miracles for me. But you might say, but I've done so many things bad. Good grief, pastor. You don't know. I'm a a sinful person. And I know he's done things for me, but man, I find myself in this position and I've said things, I've done things, I am things that I know he's not happy with. And so I think that's, I should just let him go because uh, he probably doesn't have any use for me. 
You see, God loved you and I at our worst, at our absolute worst. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us while we were at our absolute worst. And so I'm thinking, man, now we're trying to serve him. We're, we're, we're doing things right in our lives to a certain degree. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you be able to say that, that he loves us even more now because we're trying to please him? You see, God knew just what you were when he saved you. He knew just what I was whenever he saved me. He knew what kind of a knothead I was. He knew what he was getting. Man, that's crazy. I mean, so often we get married and our spouses have just seen the best of us because, boy, we're dating, we're trying to make an impression. But, oh, whenever we get married and we got that ring on their finger, sometimes, men, we get lazy, we get... We get ugly. Well, that's that's maybe not where we should go. But but we, the real us, usually come shining through. But you see, uh, to our spouses, that might be a surprise. But to God, it's no surprise. He knew what he was getting. He knew our failures. And our failures, they don't surprise God. He loves us anyway. You see, whenever you pray, we can't approach God as if he's not going to help us because a lot of times that's the way we feel. Well, I've done things bad and so on and so forth. That way he just, so whenever we pray, we really don't even think he's going to help us. Think of it this way. Would you like it if your children were so afraid of you that they wouldn't even tell you their desperate needs whenever they had them because they just, they, they're scared of you and they think there's no way that you're going to do anything for them what if they were suspicious of everything that you told them, especially that you loved them? Whenever you told your kids you loved them, they were suspicious of that. So they doubted your willingness to help them. God loves us. Man, he loves us regardless of what we do, regardless of how we act. He loves us. So David... He remembered God's character. God's character is such that he's not going to turn his back on us whenever we do things wrong. David went back to the knowledge that he had of God before the trouble came. Because more than likely, David should have never been in Ziklag, but he was. The next thing is, not only do we have to remind our things, ourselves of the things that God's done and remember his character, but David's strengthened and encouragement was in the Lord. It was in the Lord. It wasn't in what the federal government can do for us, but it was in the Lord. David reminded himself about the wonderful things that he had learned about God. David, David had this amazing relationship with God, and he, he had learned so many things. And this morning, I just want to take the last part of this message, and I want, to, I want to give you a list of seven things that I believe are so very important to you and I. They were so very important to David, but so important to you and I in this time that we live in so that we can encourage ourselves, so that we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord. First one is this. God never changes his mind, he never changes his purpose, and he never changes his nature. In Malachi 3.6, uh, the first part of it, it says, For I am the Lord, 
I do not change. A lot of people change their minds about what they're going to wear, what they're going to eat, what they're going to drive. They change their minds all the time. Husbands, wives, they change their minds. Referees, I've seen them, they change their minds. The courts sometimes change their minds. And even the federal government changes its mind every once in a while. But I've noticed this, usually it's for the worse. God does not ever change his mind. He's one that we can always count on. He'll never let us down. We can trust Him no matter what. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Psalm 119.89, it says, our, Oh, our Lord, You are eternal. Your Word will last as long as the heavens. In Matthew 5.18, it says, Heaven and earth may disappear, but I promise you that not even a period or a comma will ever disappear from the law. Everything written in it must happen. In Mark 13.31, it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. You see, you and I can know that God never changes. We can have confidence about, about the future of our lives and the status that we have with God because we stand on His unshakable promises. The second thing is this. God is in control of all of our needs. God is really in control. In Philippians 4.19, it says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let me go back and give you what, what I believe is one of the most important words in that Scripture. And my God shall supply all your needs. But you might say, we are so needy. I'm a needy person. I need, I need, I need, I need. I mean, we need money for our house. I need money for our phone. I need money for food, clothing. Oh, God, I, I need money for gas. God, I, I got money for electricity. And God, I got, I need so many things. I need a hundred other things besides what I've mentioned. We wonder sometimes how in the world is all this going to happen? How in the world is all this going to be paid for? God is in control, church. He knows what we have need of. He may use a little widow woman and, uh, who's only got a handful of flour and a spoonful of oil. He may share some uh, boy's lunch with you. He may uh, uh, allow the birds like he fed Elijah with, uh, to, dine on, uh, to be able to dine on fish in a miraculous catch. We don't know how he's going to do it. But God's always going to supply our needs. God is able to make something out of nothing. He can do it. I can always remember uh, back whenever the Y2K scare was here on this planet. Boy, everybody was scared to death. They were, they were stocking up on everything. And I can remember listening to one preacher in particular, and whenever he was in the middle of his sermon, he said, listen, I'm not worried about gas to drive my car with. He said, for heaven's sake, if we run out of gas, my God can make my car run on Kool-Aid if he needs to. And that's the facts. God is going to take care of us. He can make something out of nothing. He shall supply all of our needs. God is in control, and he'll take care of all of our needs. The third thing is this. God causes every trial to have meaning. Sometimes it seems impossible to imagine that our trials have any kind of purpose whatsoever. 
What significance can there be in our dishwasher breaking down and water going all over our kitchen floor and mold and stuff everywhere? How, what, what can there uh, a significance be in losing our job or running out of money before the, the, the month is over with and this maybe nagging pain that I have in my body of arthritis or whatever it might be? You know, how, God, can there be any kind of purpose in these things? But this morning, we got to remember a couple of things. If God is omnipotent, the Bible says He is, that He knows everything, that He's omnipresent, He's, He's everywhere at once, then anything's possible, right? He knows everything, He's everywhere at once, and He's, and he's, he's omnipotent, He's the all-powerful God. Then everything is possible with Him. He orders everything in the universe from the tiniest subatomic particle to the, to the movements of literal galaxies. And so we've got to begin to believe that he can orchestrate the little things in our lives. The pain that we might feel, the sadness that we might be in the midst of, the tears, the lost. Why does he allow those things to even take place in our lives? But even through them, we got to know that God is able. He is able. Let me read you a little, I guess it's a little poem. It's called, You're Looking at the Wrong Side. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors he worketh steadily. Oft times he weaves sorrow, and in and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle ceases to fly shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. You see, just as this little story tells us that we don't see it like God sees it. I mean, I've asked him a million times, perhaps, why haven't you healed my wife? I mean, she's, she's, she's been with MS for better than two decades. But you see, we don't, we don't see the side he's weaving. We just see the underside of it. And if you've ever noticed this, the underside of a weaving doesn't look anything like the side you're supposed to see. The fourth thing is this. Jesus is interceding for us. And let me, let me just say this. I appreciate your prayers for me. I appreciate your prayers for my, my family, for my wife. I appreciate my wife's prayers. I know that she prays for me all the time, but most of all, I appreciate the prayers that the Lord Jesus Christ prays for me. The Bible says he is continuously making intercession for me. And so how are the prayers that Jesus makes different than perhaps prayers we pray? Well, his prayers are always answered. They're always answered. The Father always gives him what he asks for. Jesus is the sole and the only mediator between God and man. In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus is mediating. He's between us and the Father, and He's praying for us. 
listen to this encouragement. This is Hebrews 7, 25. It says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ is interceding for us. He's praying for us. That ought to encourage us that in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of pain, in the midst of an emergency in our lives, Jesus is in the midst of praying for us. The fifth thing is God's grace abounds more than our sin. Wow, that's a good one. This is Romans 5.20. It says, The Ten Commandments were given so that all could see the extent of their failure to obey God's laws. But the more we see our sinfulness, the more we see God's abounding grace forgiving us. Man, that's, that's a powerful Scripture. However big your sin is, this is J.D.'s version of Romans 5.20, God's grace is bigger. No matter how big your sin might be, no matter how many times you may have done it, God's grace is bigger. It's kind of like this. If you're weak, He will strengthen you. If you fall, He's going to pick you up. If you feel like a failure, God's going to wash away all your mistakes and literally make a success out of you. God's grace abounds more than our sin. The sixth thing is this. God loves us. God's love will never let us go. How many of y'all know kids love their parents? Kids love their parents no matter how goofy their parents might be, no matter how horrible their parents might be sometimes. I can remember years ago whenever I was at Royal Family Camp, it's a camp that uh, um, takes abused and neglected kids just for a week of summer camp, just to bless them and love on them and just give them a wonderful time. We had about 26 kids this year, that year at camp, and I can remember going and spending some time in one of the cabins with two boys because their counselors is so intense. Their counselors just really needed a break. And so I went and sat with them, and we we're getting the kids tucked in and ready for bed and praying with them. And this one young man, um, he just began to bawl, and he just, you know, he told me, uh, I just miss my dad so much. And, you know, this is something, obviously, at camp kids go through. They have that little bit of separation anxiety. And uh, the thing that I knew, though, is this kid had not known his real father but just a couple of years of his life. His father was actually incarcerated for abusing the very boy that I'm now speaking with. And so I felt like, it was probably his foster parents because he had some great foster parents that had him, had him for several years. And so I asked him, I said, so you miss your dad? And I named you by name. And he said, no, no, I miss my real dad. And I thought, oh my goodness, how in the world could you miss your real dad? He said, I, I love my dad. But now the heartbreaking rest of the story is this. This young man had probably a dozen burns on his back where his biological father had taken a cigarette whenever this child was very young and burned him to the, to the point of where he was hospitalized from it. And yet this young man is still saying to me, I miss my dad. I love my dad. No matter what he's done, I still love him. See, even though you and I may resist the will of God, 
we might go against exactly what God is asking us to do. He still loves us. That's the thing we've got to get across into our hearts deep is we cannot outrun the love of God. God's love will never let us go. That's the type of love that God has for us. This little boy that I'm describing to you, I love him no matter what he's done. I still love him. That's the kind of love God has for us. Times two. Uh-uh, maybe times a hundred. Because remember, God's love is perfect. Well, let me just forget the times tables and just let me just say this. His love is greater than that. This is what it says in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So this is a place where you and I must be encouraged. Nothing that we can do could stop God from loving us. In Jeremiah 31.3, it says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Jesus Christ loves us. God loves us. He cannot let go of us. His love will not allow it. And lastly, Number seven is this, God has a great future for you. Man, his future is great. In Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans of good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Man, I've preached this over and over and over in our uh, youth ministry. I'm t I tell the kids all the time the amazing plan that God has for you. I can't even uh, begin to describe to you the plan that God has put on my life that I had no clue about as I grew up. Before I found the Lord Jesus Christ and, and He saved me and, and put His life inside of me, I had no idea what He had planned for me. But I will tell you this, the plans that He had for my life are amazing. The plans that He has for the rest of my life are more amazing. God has great plans for you. So this morning, as we conclude this message, David drew on God's resources. That's it. That's it. He's in a, he's in a fix. He's between a rock and a hard place, literally. He's got guys fix, fixing to stone himself, stone him to death. David strengthened. David encouraged himself in the Lord. He remembered God's call on his life. He thought back to how God had helped him kill the bear, the lion, Goliath, so on and so forth, to defeat Philistine armies. All the many victories of his life, he remembered God's promises. And, and, and in the middle of all of that, David's faith was rekindled. His, his faith was rekindled as he remembered the delivering power of God. Buoyancy. Buoyancy. Let me just read the definition. It is the tendency to float or rise when submerged like a cork. Buoyancy. If you're buoyant, you're going to come up out of the water instead of sink. Sometimes I think maybe I'd sink, not be buoyant. I don't know. But buoyancy is the true characteristic of children of God. You can't keep a child of God down. 
somebody that's loving on Jesus, walking with Jesus, no matter what comes their way. And it might even come their way because of mistakes they've made. You can't keep them down. The righteous may fall seven times, but seven times they will get back up. That's what the Bible says. And you and I have got to begin to understand that God is able, no matter what circumstance might we might be in the middle of, He is able. He is able. He is able. He is able to deliver us. The story of Watchman D. Watchman Nee had um, uh, had told in, in, in one of his books. It says that he had a new convert that came to him in deep distress. He says to Watchman Nee, he says, no matter how much I pray, no matter how hard I try, I simply cannot be faithful to the Lord. I think I'm losing my salvation. Watchman Nee says this to him. He says, do you see that dog over there? He's my dog. He is house trained. He never makes a mess. He's obedient. That dog is a pure delight to me. Out in the kitchen, Watchman Nee says, out in the kitchen, I have a son, a baby son. He makes a mess. He throws his food around. He fouls his clothes. He's a total mess. But who is going to inherit my kingdom? Not my dog, my son. My son is the heir. You are Jesus Christ's heir because it is for you that Jesus Christ died. We are Christ's heirs, not through our perfection, but by means of his grace. And so this morning, I encourage you to fight, to fight as David fought. He was not going to stay down. He was getting up and he was going to fight. The Lord ultimately delivered all that they lost back into their hands. They recaptured or they captured the uh, 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 armies that had walked off with all of their property and their wives and their families and they took back all that they had lost. So this morning, I wonder if there's those that are listening that are fighting discouragement right now. Maybe you just need to take a moment and be encouraged. Maybe you need to take a moment and be strengthened. You see, that's what this whole message is about. I encourage you. I admonish you. If you need encouragement, if you need strengthening, you need to give yourself a good talking to. You need to talk to yourself about how good your God is, how big he is, how able he is, how that he is the God of this universe. He literally measures the span of the universe in the, or the universe in the span of his hand. That he opens his mouth and he breathes out this, this amazing creation that you and I are a part of. He is an awesome God. We probably all ought to give ourselves a good talking to. I believe that there is a possibility that someone could be listening this morning and you just aren't sure of your salvation. But maybe you need to take a moment and be sure. You just 
don't know if really if you'd go to heaven or hell if your life were to end today. It's simple. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He made a way for your sins to be washed away. He made a way for you to become a child of the Most High God. And this morning, regardless of where you're at, right there, you can pray a prayer, invite Jesus to come into your life, invite him to forgive your sins, and make him Lord and become a child of the living God. This morning, I'm going to pray for those that you need strengthening, you need encouraged, you you just maybe down in the midst of all the stuff that's going on around you. But I will tell you this, a good talking to from yourself is going to be do more perhaps than what I can pray for. Those of you that don't know the Lord, but you're fixing to make a decision to follow him, I encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you, Father, for this word. I thank you for the power of it. But this morning, Father, I believe that I'm speaking to people that are discouraged. I'm speaking to people that need to be strengthened, that need to be encouraged. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that right now, wherever they are, Lord God, that they would just begin to feel your holy presence, that they would begin to feel your awesome love. And Father, that they would begin to understand the reality of who you are as God. And I pray, Father, that each and every one of us, Lord God, that would ever find ourselves in a position much like David found himself, Lord, where he's depressed, Lord God, he's down, he's he's almost out, Lord God. We would reach up instead of uh, looking around uh, at all the mess that's around us, Lord, look up to you because you, Father God, is where our help comes from. So, Father, I pray for those that are discouraged. I pray for their strengthening I pray for their encouraging. And Father, if there's anyone out there right now that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, I pray, Father, that the power of your Holy Spirit will just draw them and lead them, Father, and they will make you Savior of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, and I pray that you go out and strengthen yourself, encourage yourself in the Lord, because this is it. God has everything we need in the midst of any situation that we're in in life. Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing day.